called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right, good morning again. It is that time to pick up where we left off. We are about to finish up the chapter, uh, chapter 15, the book of Romans, and so we look forward to that. We'll ask the Lord for his help now as we go to him in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts and is present among us, and we thank you for the living, breathing Word of God that didn't have its origin in any human being, but it's God-breathed and sent to cut into our hearts and lives and to correct us, to bring new life, to do the supernatural, just transforming us into the people that we truly want to be, the people that you have destined us to become. And We do that by your word of God renewing our mind and washing away our sins and creating in us a new life. So we pray that we would be cooperative with the work you're trying to do and yield to you, our God, our Savior, our Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So as I alluded to this magnificent 16-chapter letter to the Christians at Rome is coming to a close. It uh, began with 11 full chapters explaining our great salvation, what Paul called the gospel of God, the good news of God, that it originates with God, that God saw the problem, that we were separated from him and life and under condemnation because we were sinners. And God, in the fullness of time, did something about it in love sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to lay down his life on our behalf, though he was sinless. He took on the sins of everybody here and the sins of the whole world and paid for them in full so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the first 11 chapters were very theological It's called the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Justification, the act of being declared innocent. And while it's easy for us to say, hey, I met the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Uh, There was 11 full chapters of theological truths that made that possible. And so he's done explaining all the wonderful mercies that God has shown on our behalf And so chapter 11 goes into chapter 12, transitions into a practical section of Romans, which we just finished up, where he says, okay, God's done all this for us. He's laid down his life. He's given everything for us. 
It's our moral obligation to give everything back to him. And so the section starting at chapter 12 was, here's how the new life that Christ puts in your heart manifests itself in everyday behavior. And the first thing was that you're surrendered. You don't just put a check in the offering, you put your heart in the offering. We offer our lives up to God. We take our hands off the controls and the reins. And then he said, by the word of God, we allow the word of God to renew our minds, to stop doing things the old way and do things his way where the blessings are. And so he goes on to say, if Christ is in your life, and if you've experienced his love and his mercy, then it will evidence itself in things like, and this is chapter 12, 13, 14, uh, being a good citizen, paying your taxes, not being part of the trouble and being loud-mouthed and complaining about everything, but you're the, the, the ones with peace who, who pray for their leaders, who de- deal in business uh, with integrity, uh, your ideal uh, workers and employees and citizens in that regard. And then he says, uh, if you're born again, the new Christian life will certainly manifest itself in love. And not just the way the world loves. We love those who are lovable and who love us. But we love those who don't love us, that do us harm. He said, uh, exhortation, we bless those who persecute us. We pray for those people in love. And so the last thing he said, and he said, and we really bend over backwards to get along with one another as God's people. So he brought on some strong words about all our personal opinions and convictions that tend to upset people when we share them. And he said, you know what? If it's not about a moral issue and you just have an opinion about something, if it's going to cause people some trouble, just keep it to yourself and mind your own business. Live, uh, 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 work hard with your hands and live in peace. Do the things that lead to peace and mutual edification or encouragement. And so with that, now the second part of Romans closed off. And now what's left is the benediction. The benediction, what I'm calling Paul's long goodbye, because he's a preacher. So it, <laughs> preachers always have a hard time knowing when to land the plane. You know, they're just circle and circle and circle. And so you think I go long. Wow. Well, he's going to go a chapter and a half of saying goodbye. And so we've already started out with the beginning of the initial descent uh, last week when he started saying, okay, it's time to close the letter. But he said, I, I, and how he started out was, I just want to tell you why I, I talked a little boldly and strongly, because your daily decisions have eternal ramifications. We're talking about the work of God. So you're going to destroy the work of God because you've got a personal opinion about tattoos or body piercings? Come on. It's the work of God, people. Leave these gray areas alone. So he spoke very strongly. And so he said, that's why I spoke strongly. And then he came in with, last week, he came in with some affirmation. He said, you, you guys aren't uh, totally just needing correction. You guys got it going on. 
the church in Rome, you're full of goodness and kindness and good deeds. You guys got a lot of knowledge about Christ and the work of the gospel, and you're doing a great job caring for one another. So part of saying goodbye was saying the reason I spoke so strong was because it's kind of important, and that didn't mean I think you're total failures because A, B, and C, you've got down. And with that, now he continues the long goodbye. Let's read what we're going to look at today. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem. He's writing from Greece. He's at Corinth. So he's telling them in Rome that first I got to go to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia, North Greece, and Achaia, southern Greece, were pleased to make a love offering for the poor among God's people in Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. It was voluntary. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the non-Jewish people, Gentiles, have shared in the Jewish people's spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings as well. So after I've completed this task of going from Greece to Jerusalem to hand off the offering and made sure that they've received this offering, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way there in Rome. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Very interesting words considering how Paul winds up in Rome. Verse 30, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Verse 31, pray that I may be rescued from these unbelieving savages in Jerusalem. And that, sorry, savages uh, going a little far. Uh, but when you hear what they do to them, you'll understand why I called them brute beasts. In Judea, and that my service, pray that my service in Jerusalem, bringing the offering and everybody getting along, may be acceptable to the saints there. Verse 32, so that by God's will... I may come to you there in Rome with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, doesn't it sound like he ended the letter? Surprise, there's another chapter. (laughs) The long goodbye continues with a list of 24 names to say, hey, 24 names. He gives a shout out to there in chapter 16. And then you think he's done? He starts preaching again. He starts preaching. He preaches another paragraph after 24 names. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. It's good to see you. I heard good things about you. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And then he says, by the way. And he gives them one last shout out about false prophets, fake pastors in the area to watch out for them and what they're teaching because it's poisonous. And so then he says, then there's a benediction, a prayer, and then he says, amen, and guess what? It's really amen. <laughs> and so we're going to get situated with this text. It divides quite nicely, actually. It's very simple. And at first uh, glance, you would think, well, there's nothing much there but some travel plans and a request for prayer. And you would be right. But it's the word of God, 
And so encoded and packed in the word of God is a whole lot of life, a whole lot of wisdom, and a whole lot of insight for you and for me. So uh, let's divide it this way. It's Paul's desire now. He's talking about his future plans. He wants to be journeying to Jerusalem. So, folks, that's your first point if you're a note taker. Verses 25 through 27, journeying to Jerusalem. And then the second point, he wants to be sailing to Spain with a layover in Rome. That is verses 28 and 29. And then in all of his travel plans and the ministry he wants to accomplish therein, he is pleading for prayer. And that is our final point at verses 30 through 33. So, Spence, why don't we isolate that first few verses there, and we'll be calling this journey to Jerusalem. So he's in southern Greece. He's done with his 18 months in Corinth. He has raised some money in the area, both in the south and in the north, and uh, he is getting ready. He's saying, in fact, the Greek says he's on his way. He's saying goodbye. He's packing his clothes. He's out the door, and he's headed where? To the motherland, to Jerusalem. And so if he had a visa, travel visa, he'd have to check. This is the, the box for business trip because it, Paul's business is his father's business, which is the ministry to the saints there, and they're in trouble, they're poor, and there's a reason for that, we'll talk about it, but the word saints needs a little bit of a comment because, you know, we think of saints as perfection, uh, morally speaking. The word there in the Greek is agios, and that's where we get sanctified, that's where you get the word saint, right? Um, it means quite literally to be set apart. So in the Bible's definition of saint, it means people who are called out of the world. That's where we get the Greek word church. It means to be called out of. Out of the world of Christ rejecting and, and, and not loving God's truth. And called out of the world to be set apart from sin, to set apart from the way the world does life, to be set apart from fear and judgment and condemnation and hell, and set apart to God and holiness and doing things right and new life and new birth and set apart to do God's will and not just to live for ourselves. And so he says the saints, God's people called out of this world, have the Holy Spirit in them, and now they're set apart to do God's will, the saints in Jerusalem have fallen on some tough times. And uh, he says, it has been on my heart for over a year and a half. And if you read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, you will find out that he has been planning and collecting funds through these little churches to send to the brothers, the Hebrew brothers, the Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, they're at, at Jerusalem, were hurting, and, and he's making a collection uh, for them. Now, the poetic twist is, of course, when Paul became an apostle of sorts, nobody laid hands on him for 14 years. It was the Spirit of God that called that man. 14 years, he's doing his thing and evangelizing the whole Roman Empire. And then, after 14 years, he meets Peter, James, the half-brother 
of Christ and John, and they give their stamp of approval. He didn't need it, but he had it after 14 years. And they say, hey, the only thing we want you to do, Paul, out there in the Roman Empire with all these goyim, these Gentiles, is just remember the poor. And Paul says, well, that's the very thing I want to do, but here's the twist. He's going to remember the poor, them, back in Jerusalem. They're hurting. So he's going to take an offering from the Gentiles, poor as they were, and going to send it back to headquarters for a very genius reason. Why? A, they're hurting, and we should help our brothers. B, he wants to bridge the gap between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. That what took years to happen. Why? Well, the Jewish Christians kind of copped an attitude. Well, we're Jews. We've got the Ten Commandments. We've got all the commandments. We've got Noah, Noah, and we've got Moses, and we've got King David and Solomon and the scriptures and the temple. It's a Jewish thing, this Christianity. Who are these, these Gentiles who are bowing down to rocks over there, you know, and worshiping Zeus? And so there was a little bit of a superiority complex. Here, they're both Christians now the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian. The Jewish Christian was like, hey, man, you know, what you doing on Saturday? You're not supposed to be working on Saturday. And what's that on your hamburger? Bacon? <laughs> you know, oh, they were so much better, some of them, right? And so there was a, hey, this got carried away so far just to show you what's behind the motive of bringing money to Jerusalem is that in Galatians chapter 2, at a church... In Antioch, southern Syria, uh, the, the Jews were at one table. Christians, it's a church. The Christian Jews were at one table, and the Gentile, non-Jewish Christians were at another table. And Paul walked in and blew a head gasket when he saw this happening. And he went up to Peter, and he said, are you a pastor or what? Or what, what are you doing playing these kinds of games? We're one in Christ, man. So here's the genius of the move. The, Jew, the, the Hebrews are hungry and they're hurting, right? So who's going to show up? Paul's going to show up with Acts chapter 20. He's going to show up to Jerusalem with seven Greeks who don't speak Hebrew, don't know Noah's Ark, don't know Genesis from anything else, but they do know they love their brothers in Jerusalem. And even though... They are Gentiles. They've got money, money that those haughty Hebrews need. And so it's going to come through the hands of Aristarchus, not Benjamin or David or a Jewish name, but Aristarchus and Sopater. These are the guys who go. And, and so here comes the money in the hands of what? The Gentiles with the countenance of Christ upon their faces. They can't understand each other, but there's translation. And then during prayer, here's the Gentiles praising God in tongues in their prayer language. And they're like, oh man, nothing will heal a rift like the one who's been despised and the despiser is in a jam and needs some rescuing. And the one they mistreated or insulted or looked down on is the one who comes 
to the rescue. Oh, man, try looking down your nose at him now. I'm not going to happen. So Paul's a genius, but he's got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, collect thousands of dollars and take it. Before you go to Rome, you take it all the way to Jerusalem. Let me show you what he did here. He's writing them from Corinth, southern Greece. Come on, there we go. Please, please and thank you. I said it nicely. <laughs> all right, it's over there. See, Achaia. Maybe let's do this. It worked. <laughs> They're over here. And he's writing to Italy over here. He's saying, I'm on my way, but I just got to run a little errand. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> And he's going to get that money there. But he's been for a year and a half, he's been collecting. Macedonia and Achaia is, like I said, all parts of Greece. And so all these little churches were on the first day of the week taking their offering and setting aside a sum of money for the mission to Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, you see it there as well. And so this is what's happening. And he says that he's going uh, to Jerusalem to bring this, to bring together hearts and lives. And, and by the way, in verse 27, we can go back there. Verse 27, he says, by the way, the Gentiles, they're happy to do it. They feel obligated. Why? A, who reached them? Jewish missionaries. Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, they're Jews. They would have known nothing without the Jews reaching out because salvation is from Judaism from the Jews first. Also, they're thinking, wow, oh my word, 1,500 years of Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and, and Numbers and uh, the prophets and the temple. Then the Gentile people are saying, God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants are hurting there. Not only are they hurting and they're God's people, but they are Christians. And we feel connected to them. And so this is the same understanding as why uh, God says tithe and give to the local assembly. Because he's saying there's a moral obligation when goods and services are being rendered and you are gaining something. There he says the Gentiles, well, of course they're morally obligated to give materially to support that which blesses them spiritually with eternal ramifications. So Paul says, don't you think that that should be the case? And, and he says, they don't feel forced. These Gentiles are saying, let's help those in Jerusalem. Why were they poor? Remember in Acts chapter 2, um, the Holy Spirit came, and those Jews that got saved who were wealthy, they sold their properties and their possessions and panicked, and everybody had some money. But here's what the commentators say about the unwise part of that. The believers sold their possessions and land and so on, but they carried it out in an economically dis disastrous way of liquidating capital and uh, distributing it out as income and without steps to replace what was just depleted in capital-wise, uh, when times became hard, the community was without reserves. And so that was part of 
the problem. And so, uh, but sure enough, Paul shows up, Gentile brothers in hand, and they bring forth, and they're like, what are these guys doing here? Oh, them? They've got thousands of dollars for you guys. Oh, did, did, did we say those guys? We meant our brothers. <laughs> okay, moving on. I think you get it. So he says, when that task is complete, we're moving now there. So after I've completed this task of getting that money in their hands, and then that goes well, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And you know, sometimes we say, I'm going to do this, and somebody will quip, if it's the Lord's will, as if you have to say that every single time. Paul doesn't say it every single time. Paul just already knows it factored in. Of course, if it's God's will. But, you know, occasionally you can actually say, I've been praying, that's on my heart. He says, I will go to Spain and I'll visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, pay attention to verse 29 because it will change your life. I know that when I come to you, the Holy Spirit has made it known to my heart. I will come in the full measure of the blessing of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so that is very important now as we go into our second point here of sailing off to Spain by way of Rome. Now, he says there in your verse, after um, I brought the offering, everything gets dialed in in Jerusalem. Uh, then it's a riverderci to Jerusalem, and it's ciao to Roma, okay? Ciao can be hello and goodbye in Italian, for those of you who thought I got that mixed up. I'll just throw that out there for you. Now, so, Paul is positive about something. He says, you know what? I may not have my itinerary. I may not know how I'm ever going to raise the support to get back to Rome. I don't know the details. I haven't even gone to TJ Maxx to get a new bag. But... You know what? He says, I know, this I know in my heart, that when I get there, I will come with the fullest overflowing blessing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what one commentator said. Don't miss this verse if ever there was a key truth that unlocks untold wisdom, peace, and comfort in all of our times of disappointment, pain, and suffering. It's this often unnoticed, obscure little verse. It's life-changing. I'm going to ask you a question. What does the full measure of the blessing of Christ look like. You may think that it looks like what the word of faith teachers teach, only exclusively, and sometimes it's true, but not exclusively this, that the full blessing of Christ our Lord is money in the bank, everybody's healthy, everybody's serving the Lord, no kids are wandering, you're comfortable, and most importantly, you're happy. <laughs> you're overflowing with material blessings, and you're healthy and thriving. Well, we know how Paul gets to Rome, don't we? And the Holy Spirit assured him, you're going to Rome, and it's going to be in my richest, fullest, widest, most complete blessing of Christ the Lord. That much he knows. Now, 
because we are benefactors of 2,000 years of church history, we can look back and see what the full, complete blessing of Christ looks like. Because however he got to Rome will be the new way to think of God's path of full blessing. So come with me now on a journey because he doesn't, he gets to Rome, he hands over the money, they meet and greet. Maybe they eat a few bacon cheeseburgers together because, you know, after all, there's thousands of dollars in the t- on the table as well as the bacon. And so they're working together. And before he even gets his thumbs going, I wonder how much it costs to get to Rome these days. Before he pulls up Expedia, you know what pulls up? A squad car. And they arrest him. They arrest, no, this is step one to the fullness of the blessing of Christ that will take him from the arrest. His journey to Rome has now officially begun with the arrest. That's how he's going. And so let's be thinking about rethinking about what we call blessing and God's goodwill, all right? So what happens? Let's go through this. He gets arrested in the temple, a bunch of liars. There's the guy He's gone all over the Roman Empire telling people, uh, we don't need Moses anymore, and the commandments are bad, and that we should be eating pork chops, and that we should not keep the Sabbath. There he is. Well, they rushed in on him, and they were going to kill him. This is how the blessing of the measure, the fullness of Christ starts. So they want to rip him from limb to limb. He's injured. He's got a cracked rib. There's blood coming out of his nose. These savages are saying, oh, oh, rid him of the earth is the chant that starts this trip to Rome. And so they pull him aside. They pull him into protective custody. And he stands trial the next day. A bunch of backbiting, false brothers standing up, slandering him, insulting him, lying about him. His trial's underway. Right? And so he's all confused. And while he's in the cell and the guys are like, I'm confused. Just put him back in the cell and everybody calm down. Paul finds out there's a conspiracy. Forty Jews said we're not eating or drinking till we assassinate him. Well, word gets out. And they transfer Paul under guard, like 100 or 200 guards take him by the cover of night. This is on the way to Rome. and the blessing of Christ, (laughs) and and take him undercover to Caesarea, 70 miles north, where Rome has its pretty much the capital of the region there. And so he's under guard there. Guess what has to happen? He has to stand trial, trial number two. Bunch of liars stand up. Well, this guy, he's causing trouble everywhere. He's he's breaking all the Jewish rules and regulations and yada, 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 all of this. And then uh, the guy likes him and wants to listen to the gospel, the governor there, Felix. And so he, he just keeps delaying everything for two years. He's locked up in chains in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. And so there he is. And uh, a new guy comes in. He's elected, uh, Festus, Governor Festus. And so Governor Festus says, what's this guy doing here? Let's have another trial. Trial three. He stands up, 
Everybody comes up 70 miles from Jerusalem. He's a loser. He's a heretic. He's a murderer. Kill him. And he has to go through that again. Guess what happens again? This is number two. They take an oath, get him transferred, will ambush him and kill him. Well, they find out again. Paul finds out and he clears his throat in the courtroom. And Paul finally says, you know what? I'm done with this. I haven't done anything wrong. I appeal to Caesar, to Nero. I'm a Roman citizen. I was born one by birth. I want to stand before Caesar. And they say, the governor says, whoa, it's within his rights. He can do that. So he says, Paul, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. You've appealed to Rome. To Rome, you will go. And Paul goes, finally. (laughs) I knew God was working his will, but I didn't know. So he says he's going. Let me give you a map of what's called Paul's fourth missionary journey, because it's his fullness of the blessing of Christ is upon him. All right? So while they're doing the paperwork, I just throw this in so you can see the fullness of the blessing. While he's still in in Caesarea and they're getting the ship ready, so they haven't left Caesarea yet. There's Caesarea. He's still there, but, you know, while he's there, (laughs) they say, hey, listen, before you go, uh, we've got a king visiting. We've got the most important dignitaries, the wealthiest people in the whole region, the most influential people are all going to gather, and we're going to set up a crusade for you. Okay, we know you're in the prison cell, but so they invite everybody, and, with, and the Bible says, with great pomp and circumstance, with trumpets blowing, with a king and governors and every rich person in the city, the military's there, everybody's there, and they say, bring them out. He says, i got to write a letter to Nero. I don't know what to write, so let's listen to the dude. Okay, they bring Paul out. He comes out with the chains. <laughs> In the full measure of the blessing of Christ, they say, do you have anything to say? He says, yeah, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Acts chapter 26, and he motions his hand, and you hear the clanging. And then you can hear a pin drop. And he says, I used to hate Christians. I used to kill them. People like me. And they're, yes. And he said, about noon, O king. I was on my way to to persecute these very people and a bright light from heaven struck me blind and I heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. Stop it already. I added that. (laughs) And I said, who are you, Lord? What do you have me to do? And God did this. And then, then a group of the king says, Paul, I'm... I'm this close right now. I'm this close. That's the way you can translate it. It could be a question or it could be saying, I'm, I'm pretty close. And he says, I, you, don't, you need to be more close than that. You need to be exactly like me, except with these chains. And so in the full blessing of Christ, they hear the gospel. <laughs> Not from any old guy, but from the apostle Paul, anointed by the Holy Spirit. You want to talk about the fullness of the blessing of Christ? Wow, and all for free, free room and board and everything. So why don't, now you've got the picture here, and I'll tell you about more of the blessing of Christ getting him to Rome there. 
So Acts 27 starts, and when it was decided to sail for Italy, there it is, Paul was chained to a centurion like a Navy SEAL. You can picture that. And they set sail for Rome. And so now he's coming in the full measure of the blessing of Christ in an orange jumpsuit, prison prison, uh, rations. You do know that there's no cabin on board, that everything they're going through, Paul is standing on deck chained to something. There's no cabin, there's no bed. There's no, all there are murderers, robbers chained, and the rest of the riffraff going to face their justice there. So they head for, for Rome, and what happens in the fullness of the blessing of Christ as he's coming? A hurricane, a hurricane for two weeks. They don't see any light for two weeks in the fullness of the blessing of Christ as he's coming to Rome. No, he's upside down. And guess what? The fullness of the blessing of Christ, the captain's saying, Paul, what should we do? Paul, what should we do? Paul, what do we do next? The centurion and the captain are saying, whatever he says, do it. So Paul has said, an angel has appeared to me. Rest. You haven't eaten for two weeks. Let's get some rations out. Let me lead in prayer. He's in charge on the boat, on a prison ship, which he's <laughs> a prisoner in chains, and he's calling the shots. And he says, listen, everybody, nobody's going to die. God told me, send an angel. We're all going to live, but you better stay with the ship. So the ship runs aground. It starts breaking up. They have to jump overboard and float to shore in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. And that's not all. When they get there, it's like, oh, God, thank you for the blessing of dry sand and earth and a warm fire to warm my hands. And then in the full measure of the blessing of Christ, a viper, a poisonous viper jumps out, fastens it to his hand, and no doubt bites him. Of course, what is just settling on him to say, hi, welcome to Malta. <laughs> no, it bites him, and the natives are like, karma, karma, you survived that, but you know, prisoners have to die. And then they, they, they're watching him, and he doesn't blow up and fall over and die, and they go, oh, we've changed our minds. You're a god. And so he says, no, I'm not a god, but let me tell you about the god. And the governor of Malta in the fullness of the blessing of Christ gets saved. And now we have a Christian spirit-filled governor on Malta. Why? Because in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, Paul is being brought to Rome. That's part of the blessing. Yes, it's at the expense of some pain and suffering for our apostle, but he doesn't seem to mind because he understands that there's a hard part of blessing, that God uses tough things, and he can rejoice, and he knows his character, and trials are are leading to perseverance, and perseverance gives way to character, and character develops hope, and it's a hope that will never be disappointed, because God has poured out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, and by his love. And so, yes, in the fullness of the measure of the blessing he comes. And so after two weeks there in the storm and then after uh, converting uh, Malta, right? And do you know what happened afterwards with a Christian leader like that? 
who just got healed of some dreadful disease on top of that, that nation was praising the Lord. And so then they lodge here, and they get to Italy, and now they have to walk up the path, and it's called the Appian Way, and I've got a picture of that. It's still there. They did some pretty good work, those Romans. They're really good at roads and leather purses and, <laughs> and fast cars. And spaghetti, too, right? All right, you're not in the mood. That's fine. I still love you. Up the Appian Way they go, clanking, chained to murderers and rapists and robbers and insurrectionists and Paul and crowds on each side, as they would do, taunting, profanity, all kinds of terrible things in his orange jumpsuit, as it were. And then the church comes out as they did. The church at Rome, they came out and they greeted him in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, he came to Rome. And he had rejoicing in his heart. And so did they. After all of that, listen, God leads you and me. If you're walking in the light, you're not perfect, but you love the Lord. You're not overtly sinning. You're trying to do God's will. And you're on a path, and there's a hurricane or a viper people after you and making stuff up about you. You're on the path. You're on the path and you're going to arrive somewhere in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You, you didn't take up off-road. Unless you're sinning and doing something really foolish, then, then that's on you. And even then, God is so redemptive and so merciful that in a split second, we're back on the path. And it may mean a little bit of struggle. It may mean a little bit of hardship, but he's going to get us there. We're going to arrive there. Let me tell you about arriving in the fullness of the blessing of Christ somewhere. I arrived at a scene, a terrible scene, a scene where a father had an, a brain aneurysm, an emergency surgery. He was at UCSF. The family all gathered, and the doctor said, there's nothing we can do. He's brain dead. You have to pull him from life support. And I arrived in the fullness of the measure of the blessing of Christ, and this is how God did it. Through my cancer, I was also a patient down the hall from him. And so where I was spending three months of my life recovering from a bone marrow transplant, something was going wrong. They gave me back my stem cells, but they weren't grafting. And I should have been out two weeks earlier, but I wasn't. And every morning, I'm like, are they grafting? Are they grafting? No, I'm sorry. There's no growth. And it became a little bit scary. Now, I want to get out of that place but God had another plan. So while I'm waiting for my stem cells to graft, I'm in the solarium. It's a room where you just hang out there. And there was a couple there, and I met them. And they said, yeah, down the hall next to us, my dad's having brain surgery. It doesn't look good. And I prayed with them there, and we, we met, and they knew I was a pastor. So four days, five days later, 
I'm still waiting, waiting, waiting. God, where are you? What kind of road is this? What's happening? Why can't I get better? Why can't I get out of here? They walk in my room. They say, hey, Pastor Russ, can you come and pray with us? We're going to pull my dad's life support. And I said, if you don't mind. Yeah, they said, of course not. I'm in a gown. I'm in a gown that if you're not careful, you're going to get some, you're going to get some TMI, all right? So I'm making sure this is tied back there, you know, and I said, you don't mind with the, you know, I've got seven bottles hanging there, seven. So I, I drag it and I'm following them through and they're like, sir, sir. And the son leading the way says, he's a pastor. And I keep walking. And I go through all the doors and all the security clearances and all of that. And I get there and he pulls the curtain back and there's dad. You couldn't recognize him as human from the swelling. And 25 people packed. And he says, this is Pastor Ross. I've got no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no facial hair. My face is fatter than it now looks. It's out to here. Pale, sick. And he says he has a few words he wants to share with us. And in the fullness of the blessing of Christ that brought me there, I was able to share the gospel of hope. And they were listening. And then I prayed with God's help, a prayer that was well received. And we prayed over him, and I prayed in his ears nice and loud. And they turned the switch off. And they all gathered around me and hugged me. And I heard praising God and thanking him. What are the odds that you'd be here and you're a pastor and you can pray here for us? The fullness of the blessing of Christ. Let's start redefining that possibly, just possibly, God has got something else on his mind than your contentment and your, your comfort, that he might have the gospel. He might be thinking how to save and reach somebody because I'm going to see somebody in heaven that would not have been there had I not had the full blessing of Christ to come all the way through those three months and into their room with the fullness of what God's will was, and it wasn't necessarily to frustrate me. Where are the stem cells? Why aren't they grafting? The doctors say, well, I don't know why it's taking so long. And God says, I got a plan. And it has nothing to do with you and your comfort. It has to do with a family that's going to need to hear from me. And I got some believers in the group that aren't believers yet, Ross, but something you're going to say is going to push them over. So he goes on to just ask for a prayer, and we'll close with that. I plead with you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's in Corinth. He hasn't gone there yet. <laughs> by the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, he wants them to pray because, look, he's pleading. That's urging. And he's invoking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he's invoking the love of the Holy Spirit that unites us to God's love and salvation and to one another. All of that to say, 
please join me in my struggle and pray to God for me. He's saying, could you not mention me when you're getting in your car and just say, I'm being with Paul today or when over a mealtime, though that's nice. He's saying, I'm, got, I'm facing bad guys in Jerusalem. Bad guys are out there. And he's saying, I need you to pray for me in my struggle. Pastors have struggled. I don't know about you, but when I go to pray, I naturally am drawn to pray for weak people, weak people who are struggling with needs that are obvious. I don't naturally start praying for people I think are spiritually mature or have it together right now. And so pastors, like Paul, and he's asked for prayer so many times in the scriptures, um, over and over again, 2 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Um, I go to uh, Spring Hills. No, I actually go here, but I go to Spring Hills to have a, a breakfast prayer time with the local pastors, and pastors can open up with other pastors and say, pray for me. The way that we aren't comfortable saying to people, pray for me. And if you could hear them, oh my word, the pressure on their families, the pressure of critical people, the pressure of all kinds of strains and making everybody happy and all of that, and preaching the gospel and being right with God and all of their own struggles on top of the burden of the church. And one of them was saying, if only every critical remark that's ever been uttered was actually a fervent prayer instead of a complaint. He said, this whole landscape would be different. Instead of complaining and criticizing, let's lift one another up in prayer. Because the devil, man, he says, why bother out there and scattering the, the buckshot everywhere where you take one guy down, get his family, ruin him, man, and then you'll hurt a lot of other people with just some concerted focus effort. So go for the guy with the mouth. <laughs> Amen. And so they do. And so I look at you and I say, pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for my kids. Pray for me. I wrote a letter to Pastor Jay once I became a senior pastor for the first time in my life. And I said, bro, you have to forgive me. I had no idea. As an associate pastor, I had no idea what it was like to be a senior pastor. And this was when the church was 30 people. Yeah. Pray for me. <laughs> if you don't mind. And, and so, yeah, he says, I've got problems out there. And, and that my service in Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints there. I don't want to get there and have them go, ooh, Gentile money? Uh, uh, did they offer this to Zeus? And, and, and you, you know, they had a thing about the holy drachma. The temple coins, you couldn't. That's why they changed it at the temple. The money changers, that's what was happening. Jews from, had foreign currency. They said, oh, no, 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 that's Gentile money. So Paul's saying, could you please pray 
Could you please pray that it is well received, not them looking down their noses at, oh, do they think we can't take care of ourselves here in Jerusalem? This is Jerusalem. All right, where are they from? We haven't even heard of that place, Athens, whatever. <laughs> Fervent prayer. He says, pray for me in my struggle, right? And then one more little illustration. During my bone marrow transplant, I developed mouth sores because your immunity is so low that you can't fight off the normal things that go on in your mouth. And, uh, and so I, I couldn't talk. I was in the worst pain of it all was, was from that. So I called Mike Ortelli, who's with the Lord now. And I said, I know you guys pray, please. I said it like this. That's how I sounded. It was so painful. It was like razors everywhere. And so he says, we're going to pray. Well, the next day I, I woke up. It was like gone. So I call, and Liz answers the phone, and Liz says something I will never forget the rest of my life. I said, Liz, you're not going to believe this. I, uh, I, they're gone. They're all gone. The doctor said, ah, that's fascinating. I said, that's the Lord. And then Liz says, we prayed so hard for you, Ross, that steam was coming off of our roof. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I think Liz, Liz, are you here? Where are you? Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I thank you for praying with your heart, with some elbow grease, with some love, with the steam coming off the Ortelli roof. And by the way, all the Ortellis got in a van. I needed blood. I couldn't make my own blood. I had to live on other people's blood for a while. They all <laughs> got in a van and came down. So now I am pretty much an Ortelli and a... <laughs> And suddenly, I was craving pasta like crazy. <laughs> I became a better cook. I wanted to drive a Ferrari. <laughs> listen, you. Listen, you. You're on a road right now. You didn't do anything wrong, necessarily, to have the fullness of the blessing of Christ manifest in some pressure. He's with you. He's doing something fantastic. And after a while, you're going to come through this. You're going to come through that thing. They came through the hurricane. Yeah, there was a viper waiting for him, but, you know, I, they came through the viper thing too, right? Sometimes there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes it's an oncoming train. <laughs> uh, remember the part where the preacher doesn't know where to land the plane? Let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you that you are with us, God. You're just with us. You're with us in the thick and the thin, You're when there's money in the account and when there's none, and when we're wise and when we're dumb. God, you just love us. You're with us. You joined us to your son forever, and there's nothing that can mess that up, not even us. We can't do it because it's in, we're in Christ and Christ is in us. So bless us in the full measure of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And whatever that is, Lord, we look to you because we know you're working it out for good. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.